So here we go, right? We are doing, anybody, uh, if, if, you're, if you're new here this morning, you're probably going, oh, or if you, worse yet, you invited somebody this morning, right? And then you're like, oh my gosh, what are they doing? Oh, they're doing, oh, it's generosity today, right? So I don't know what you came in, but you may have came in. Let me just set the stage here. Just one second. I'll be right back. Um, because when we start talking about things like this, sometimes we have things go through our head. So I don't want to let anybody down. We're talking about generosity today. We got these buckets here, and we're going to be, the ushers are coming up. They're going to pass these buckets around until they are absolutely full. Because generous is what you're not. But today, you're going to be generous. You're going to reach into them wallets, and I'm going to see, you're going to get that, that money out. If your ladies don't think you're getting out either, you want to get everything into this bucket. And we are, if you didn't bring any money, I got to think we can slash your card right here all day long, all you want to. And let me tell you this. When you do it, you better put a big grin on your face because the Lord loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so generosity. Generosity. We want to talk about generosity. And honestly, we are going to talk unashamedly about generosity because generosity is an absolute key to this whole thing. Generosity is actually something that has separated the church from the world and should separate the church from the world. It should make the church stand out from the world. And we're not just talking generosity financially. What we're gonna be talking about is a bigger picture of generosity. Generosity and love, generosity and grace, generosity and forgiveness, generosity of our time, and obviously our things and our finances. Whew, that wore me out. <sighs> I'm actually pretty fit, but, but I don't know what that was. That just got me all jacked up or something. I don't know. Maybe I got a little of that in me or something. Maybe I'll start doing that weekly. Start yelling, spitting, slapping the Bible. Um, so we have essentials. There, there really are essentials to, to generosity. We, we want to look at some of these different things. And the first thing I want to look at and kind of consider is, is really, um, I, I'm just convinced that generosity has other components to it. As a matter of fact, if we're going to have a true God-honoring generosity, not a self, um, really kind of a self-fulfilling generosity, then, then we really need some fundamental changes in our heart. And to be honest with you, it's what giving and generosity is all about. It's not really about a God who needs. God himself is absolutely sufficient in all things. It's all his anyway, just like Lisa said this morning. The earth is his and all that it contains. But the reason that God calls us to generosity and to giving is because we need to become a more generous and more giving people. What is God after? He's after our hearts. And too often our hearts are tied in with our things, with our finances. But we wanna have an authentic generosity. And so part of, I think that that, that that looks like, what does that look like? I think that there's a huge component of what is your satisfaction level in life right now? Where are you at? Are you satisfied? What kinds of things are you chasing in life? What kinds of things, if you thought about it, do you believe if they come your way would bring satisfaction to you? 
Because satisfaction in life is gonna be key to unlocking the reality of generosity. Because see, if we're unsatisfied, that means we're gonna be chasing something. We, we have something in mind that we're believing is gonna change life for us. We're believing it's gonna give us identity. We're believing it's gonna give us purpose. We're believing that it's gonna have a great and awesome return for us. And, and, and some of those things, you know, we, we have to really look at that. We have to look down and we have to understand, well, why am I operating like I'm operating? What kind of things? Do I look at these things in life? Do I, do I believe that I need them or do I just see them as kind of gravy on top? Because it's not even necessarily that we could be chasing things or unsatisfied with things that are bad. It just means that maybe we have a bad position with them in our lives. Maybe we're, maybe we're giving some of the things that we believe will bring satisfaction too much um, too much importance in our lives. Maybe we're giving it too high of a position. So satisfaction, where are you at in life and where is your satisfaction level? Because it's really key to unlocking this concept of generosity. The other one is gonna be contentment. Are you content? Are you okay in your situation today? Um, because contentment is something that's only found in the present. See, many times as we approach something like contentment, we approach it with the idea that I'll be content when. I'll be content at some point in the future when I have this job or this home or this bank account or this car or this relationship, this person in my life. We always begin to take and plug something into that and say, this is the object. This is the thing that's left me unsatisfied. This is the object of my discontent. But when it happens, then I'm gonna be fulfilled. I'm gonna be content. I'm gonna be actually uh, all that I think that I need to be and what I think that uh, maybe life Life is about. But see, the reality of contentment is that it only exists in the present. It doesn't exist in the future. As a, as a matter of fact, if we're trying to put contentment into the future, that's actually the antithesis to contentment. It's the opposite of contentment. You see, we're either content presently or we're just not. And so contentment, getting to a place where we're at peace. And that's just, there, there can be a lot of levels to this. Um, I know that I spent a lot of time as a young person, not content with um, my life and, and, and maybe the circumstances of my life, maybe even my family situation. I used to even go, man, God, how come I was born into all of this? How come, how come this whole mess and some of these things? And man, I don't get why, why these people were my parents or some different things. And over a course of time, God began to reveal to me that exactly the circumstances of my life were exactly what they were supposed to be. As a matter of fact, I had one shot to come into this world and that was exactly by the parents that, that, that brought me into this world. You know, there's, there's just, there, there, was, there was one cell each place and for each and every one of us, that happened at a point in time that was absolutely ordained by God. And God had this plan and this purpose. But you see, a lot of that, it left me struggling inside. It left me without contentment. It left me without satisfaction in life because I just wished that somehow I could have controlled it and made it become different. And see, when we begin to shackle ourselves to those kinds of things, those things begin to limit us. They begin to keep us. They impede us from forward motion. They impede us from actually living into what God has for us because we, we stay living at a point and a time in the past. Again, so we want authentic generosity, not just self-fulfilling generosity, because when we get right down to it, sometimes we're a people who, who just, we just throw some money at it. We just throw some money at the, at the problem. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that we have a generous heart because we can be generous on the outside 
without being generous on the inside. And really what is God after? He's after this heart change. He's after the whole of us. The world is working to keep us unsatisfied. As a matter of fact, every marketing campaign out there right now is aimed at making you dissatisfied with your life and how your life is going, right? Social media has a tendency to, to, to bring um, discontent into our lives. It brings unsatisfaction into our lives. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But when we approach it from this place of saying, man, everybody else just seems to have it all together. Everybody else seems to have these, these, these great experiences and this great life and this great family. How come I'm struggling so much? And we begin to compare our insides to everybody else's outsides. And what happens is that leaves us unfulfilled. It leaves us in a spot and that begins to bind us because what, what does that do? Then that begins to have us take the focus in a direction that it was never meant to go and a focus on things that will never, ever, ever truly fulfill us. See, there's a, there, there's a place where what God wants us to do and when we get to a place of authentic generosity is to be able to just let go. Just be able to truly let go and enjoy the things that God has given us. Not to feel like we have to hang on, not to feel like we have to control, not to feel like we have to manipulate this, this situation, these finances, or this relationship so that I'll continue to have the meaning and the identity in my life that, that, that I think is, is necessary, but to recognize that it's really about God, that, if, that my satisfaction can only be found in Him. See, we have this problem sometimes that says, if I let go of some of this, then I'll just have less. And the Bible doesn't teach that. And that's, again, why unashamedly I want to just come up here and talk about generosity because God's perspective on generosity just goes blessing, 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 okay? And so, so where are we at? What's your level of contentment? Um, see, until God is enough, nothing else will be. That's the reality of who we are. God is the most glorified in us when we are the most satisfied in him. That was a John Piper statement. See, let's look at some scripture. Jeremiah 2.13 tells us this. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's God telling us? He's telling us, look, I am the source of living. You need water to live. You need water to have life. And I am the source of living water. The problem with you and me is that we forsake God, not believing him to be that source of living water, believing that we have a better plan, believing that the world has told us a better plan, buying into the deception of that and going away from God and, and beginning to dig our own well dig our own cistern. And God says that even our cisterns, they aren't even good enough to give us water that is, um, what do I want to say? Not alkalide, but give me a word. Um, what's that? Potable water. Yeah, you just, just, that, that it's, it, it, well, yeah, it's not refreshing. The living water, that's, that's what's refreshing, right? Water out of the bottom of some hot old cistern is not the same deal. 
And so, so God, but, but he says, God says, you're, you're digging these things. You're working like this. You're, you're digging these cisterns out, but they won't hold any water. They won't truly bring to you the thing that you're actually looking for. See, I'm convinced that what the whole world is looking for in all of our pursuits and all of the advertising and all the movies and all of these things is really everything that God offers. We're looking for these things. It's not that we don't want these things. It's not that we don't want good things. It's that we forsake this place where the living water is flowing and we go off our own way and we start to dig these cisterns, believing that they'll hold water, but God just tells us, hey, that it doesn't even hold water what you're doing. You see, it's an interesting thing because in John chapter four, right? Jesus meets a Samaritan woman by a well. And you know what he tells her basically? He just tells her, look, you're drinking out of the wrong well right? He says, anybody who drinks out of this, from this water is going to thirst again. And what he's telling us is, you know, ultimately we see in this story, we know that this woman has had a lot of relationships and relationships have been something that I don't know what that's looked like for her, but she's held on to these and she's chased these and she's pursued these. And she's even at one, she's even willing to be in one that doesn't honor her. One where, where the guy that she's with isn't even her husband at this point. He's, he, he's not honoring her. He's not dedicated to her. He hasn't committed himself to her. Not anything on the level like what Jesus says he'll commit himself to us with. And Jesus just says, look, you're, you're drinking out of the wrong well. You, you, you drink out of that water, but it's only gonna leave you thirsty. See, so many of the things that we chase in the world, some of the, so many of the things that we think that we just have to have, there's a law of diminishing returns, right? We, we find ourselves, we attain it, and then it doesn't satisfy. And so we've gotta go further, we've gotta go deeper. We, we attain it, it doesn't satisfy. We keep chasing it. We keep chasing after what we can't really catch on so many levels. See, Jesus says this, the Bible says something like this, Matthew 5, 6, 5, 6 it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And Psalm 107, nine says, for he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul he has filled with what is good. See, sometimes we, we have this perspective that if, I, if, if, if I'm giving, if I'm generous in all of these arenas of life, whether it be forgiveness or grace or love or time or stuff and finances, we have this idea that if I give, I lose. I somehow have less. But God is telling us here that this soul is filled with what is good. You see, God begins to tell us things like, if you wanna find your life, if you wanna find real purpose, you gotta put it away. You can't make it about you and also still find the purpose and the meaning and, and, and the real abundant life that God has given for us. It, what he's telling us is that generosity is an absolute key part of healthy and happy living. As a matter, we just cannot live like this. One struggle that we have, and we all have it in this place, and we're all an incredibly wealthy people within this country, when you compare us to the rest of the world, is that we're, we consume, we're just consuming out to the nth degree. It's never enough. And, and every time we get a little more, we just consume more, we consume more. And really God is trying to recreate something in us that gets to a place that looks like, hey, I think, I, I think I'm good. 
I think I'm content. I think I'm satisfied with the life that God is giving me. I think that things in my life are enough and out of my life now what I really want and what I think would really change my life and be a blessing both to me and others is an outflow out of my life. Maybe that's the place. Because again, if we live our lives as just consumers, just consuming more, then there's just never enough. There's never, ever enough. But God is the one, it's when he's enough, when God is enough, that's when things start to really change for us. See, God, is, God has this, this, this thing, this perspective. I mean, generosity starts to boil down to love. It really does. And, and, and love is one of those interesting concepts. Uh, Sidewalk Prophets, one of the lyrics of their song says, it's, love is the opposite of money. The more you give away, the more that you have. You don't lose in this thing. And, and God is trying to open us up to a different economy, really a higher economy. As a matter of fact, God tells us in his word that giving becomes the thing that unleashes blessing into our lives on many, many, many levels. And, and go, he goes on to basically tell us, look, you can't outgive me. You can't do it. I'll, I'll show it to you. And it's the only thing in the Bible that God has ever said, test me in this. Test me and I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. And so God, God, is, God is this God who has just lavishly given everything for us. He, he's just given all. There's nothing left for God to give to us. He's given it all in Jesus and in his son. And he's, he's provided so well for us. And what he's asked now is that we would be agents that would be an extension of that, that out of us would begin to flow this love. David, he got this. He says, God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus, I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. I'm convinced that this is where God wants to take us, is to a place of satisfaction, to where we're living our lives, not just craving the next thing, but truly finding satisfaction in where we're at, in our station of life, where we're at. We won't be generous until we're satisfied in him. Leviticus 23, 22 in the Old Testament, God says this. He says, when you reap the harvest of your land, moreover, you shall not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleaning of your harvest. You are to leave them for the needy and the alien. I am the Lord, your God. So God is telling us right there, he's saying, look, I, I, I want you to leave margins in your life. I want you to leave room in life for others. I want you to have margins in your field. Don't go to the edge of the field. Don't, don't take everything that you can get. Leave some for others. And this is God's principle for, for um, really for welfare even here, it, it, is that people wouldn't consume everything to the nth degree, that they would leave things and people would come in and there would be something for them and they would glean and they would work and they would have the dignity of work and they would earn and they would have. But that had a real requirement that the landowners had a heart of generosity. And, and so again, we're not just talking about margins of money, but, but really the, the, the reality is, have we, are, we, are we organizing our life 
and, and our finances and our time and all of these things in a way that we have margin for someone else. Do you have room in your life for God to work in your life today? Because I can tell you this, it won't be convenient. It won't be convenient and it won't be easy, but it'll be good. But we have to leave margin sometimes. But, but what do we do? We fill our schedules up to the, to the nth degree. We, we have no room. We have no time. We're rushing from this thing to that thing and that thing to this thing. We don't have margins even enough for our own families a lot of times, much less anybody else. God is saying, leave some room in your life. Leave some room in your life for others. Make sure that you're not just a consumer, just, just taking everything that we can get, but leave margin for others. And let's do that with our time, with our stuff, with our love, with grace, with forgiveness. See, that's the thing. We, 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 we've got to leave room for these things. We've got to leave room for God to work in our lives. We can't be so busy that we can't be generous. I'll read to you real quick out of, uh, out of Luke chapter 10. And it's a story, right? It's a, it's a guy and it's a lawyer guy, kind of like Ben. Um, he, he asked Jesus, he says, um, you know, he says, well, hey, uh, you know, how do I find life? And Jesus says, well, you know, you, you love God and you love people and you love your neighbor like yourself. And he says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says this, he says, hey, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going by, down by that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said, you go and, and do likewise. You see, Jesus flipped the question on him from who's my neighbor to how about you be a neighbor, <laughs> right? And, and, and this Samaritan guy, and what an, what an absolute insult to the Pharisees and to the, uh, to, to the people, to the Jewish people around that, that Jesus would use as an example, a Samaritan, somebody that was hated by the Jewish people, considered half-breeds and, 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 and irreverent and irreligious and all mixed up. And, and Jesus uses this guy to say, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm to be, that, that this guy had margin in his life. He had room for this guy. See, there were other people that went, but, but they went and they saw him and they walked on the other side. I don't know about you, but I, I'm really kind of ashamed at how many times I've done that. I see that thing and I'm like, whoa, I'm gonna go over this way, right? Because I don't feel like I have time for that and I don't feel like I have resources for that and I don't feel like I have um, just, I just don't wanna deal with it right now, you know? But this guy had margins and it wasn't convenient for him and it wasn't cheap for him either. He was generous with what he had, even so much that he said, hey, if the bill runs up anymore, just I'll take care of it. 
And he was going somewhere too, just like everybody else was. But his position wasn't more important. Um, where he was headed wasn't more important. His, his, his stuff wasn't more important. And the fact that it was inconvenient for him wasn't more important than for him to be generous at that time. And this is, this is what God is calling us to. When he says, love your neighbor as yourself, this is what he's saying. He's saying, just leave some margin. Set your life up so that you have room for somebody else. So let, let's, let's be a generous church so that we have room to meet the needs of some people that need some help. See, God wants to, he wants to work this in us. And, and, and the whole perspective sometimes is, do we view life as gift or gain? Is everything that I have a gift or is it just gain? Is, is it meant to be just grabbed onto and then gained from? Do I, do I take every opportunity that I have and take it to the nth degree and get as much out of it as I can or not? Or do I recognize a lot of times that it was just gift to me anyway? And how about if I press that on? How about if I move that? You see, I'm convinced that this is a matter of source, honestly. And I'll, I'll, I, I, I like this example. It helps me. Let's say I'm a, I'm a machine here and I've got $100 bills up here. And Troy, you come and you push a button and I'll spit a $100 bill out to you. And let's just say, and, and I'm not trying to make a case for, for tithing. If I said, hey, uh, here you go, now give me 10 back. Would you be good with that? Would you do it again? 10 back, do it again. Would you do it again? Do it again? Do it again? Why? Well, Bible says to. But I think, I think that the bigger issue a lot of times in our hearts is source. You see, the reason you'd be so willing to make that deal like, hey, you're gonna give me 100, I'll give you 10 back. Are you give me 100, I'll give you 10 back is because you would see me as the source of all of that, not yourself. The problem is, is that we begin to see ourselves as the source of that. We begin to, to see ourselves as, as our own providers and really not God. John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You see, this is a work that God wants to capture our hearts. He wants to change us on the inside and then have a different outflow. Again, a generous, God-honoring generosity, not a self-fulfilling generosity, not a generosity that just wants to look good in front of everybody, which I can struggle with. We all struggle with this, but an authentic generosity that is because of this relationship that we have to Jesus, because we understand what all has been given, that he gave everything on our behalf, that he emptied himself, that he, he gave up his position in heaven. He gave up all of his, everything to come down here to empty himself, to be generous to you and I, to give grace, to give love, to give forgiveness, to change us, to empower us, and, and to then become something in his people that, that, is, that is welling up within them and is outflowing into the world around them, that they become, that we become a source of satisfaction and, and provision for those around us. Because remember, the church is Jesus's means of operating on this planet until he comes back and does it himself. Ecclesiastes 5.10, the folly of riches. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Again, there'll just never be enough. If that's, and, and trust me, I'm not here saying that money is bad. Please don't hear that. Money is a blessing. Money is a tool. 
But if money becomes our God or if money becomes our means of, of, of identity and who we are and the, and the means by which we're living our life, then it'll just never be enough. It'll never really fulfill what we're trying to fulfill. We'll, we'll, it'll always fall short. The, the word there for vanity is hevel. It means like smoke. It means like we look at it and it has this appearance of substance. But anytime you try to get a hold of vapor or smoke, it just goes right through your fingers. You can't, you can't really get a hold of it. And what, what God is really trying to tell us is, is not that this is bad stuff, but our perspective on it can be bad. That, that don't live your life chasing smoke, trying to get a hold of something that won't satisfy us, that won't really truly fulfill us. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. 1 Timothy 6, 19, or 17 through 19, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I mean, isn't that, I love that. What he's saying is don't miss it. Don't, don't miss what life is really about. And I just wanna say, I would be so amiss as to never talk about this or to not talk about that this is what, what God is taught, where God is trying to get through to us that this is good, that the generous life is a good life, that the generous life is the fulfilling life that we keep looking for, that the generous life is, is about a heart. It's, it's really a heart issue. It's not a finance issue. See, see, Jesus eradicated the idea that giving was about money with a little old lady that was in line with everybody else. And it says she put a dime in the bucket, basically. And Jesus said, look at her. Nobody can give more than she gave. Now, monetarily, there were a lot of people that had given more than she, but she had given from a place of trust. She had given from a place of her poverty, really, it said, that she had given sacrificially. And Jesus says, hey, nobody can do more than that. So generosity, we're not, gonna, we're not sitting here today putting any kind of a number on generosity for you. I'm, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna try to name what would be generous on your behalf or my behalf or any of those kinds of things. But I am saying that God has called us to be a people that are generous, that, that he wants to put a giving heart inside of us. You see, it's not because God has need. God doesn't want your money. And I can tell you right now, I'm not sitting here because the church wants your money. I'm sitting here because God wants your heart. And because so many times our hearts are too entwined with our stuff, with um, what we do, with our hobbies, with our position. My heart is too entwined with these kinds of things. And God is saying, I want you to just let go of those things. I want you to enjoy them for what they were meant to be, enjoyment, but not purpose. I want you to have real purpose. Those things, Jesus says, even if a man's life consists of abundance, his life is not his possessions. That's my paraphrase. Jesus said that, that, that if we do that, that that doesn't identify us. That's not your identity, that your identity is still found in him. And when we get this right, when we find the real place where our identity is at found, the real place where purpose is found, the real place where 
contentment is found, the real place where satisfaction is found, then we can let go of all the stuff that we've been holding too tight to. We can enjoy it for what it was meant to be instead of manipulating it for our end. And we can enjoy and come to know the abundant life that Jesus really has for us, the, the true meaning, the true purpose, the true identity that will only be found in him. It's our privilege. It's our absolute privilege to get to join God in what he's doing, to order our lives as believers in seeing a bigger picture and joining him and giving and being giving people. So what if the church gave, not not this church, I'm gonna talk about the whole church. The whole church, all of those who claim Christ according to this world. And, and I'm just gonna give you a few things about kind of where we're at. Tithers make up 10 to 25% of a normal congregation. 5% of the US tithes with 80% of Americans only giving 2% of their income. Christians are only giving at 2.5% per capita, while during the Great Depression, they gave at a 3.3% rate. So let's just say, and you know what? I'm not going to try to make the case for the tithe in the New Testament church. Let me just say that. Honestly, I don't think it's 10%. And I don't think that the Old Testament tithe was 10%. I think it was actually higher than that, but, but we won't go there. But, but anyway, 10% would be a great place to start. And it says that this, there would be an additional $165 billion for churches to use and distribute. The global impact would be phenomenal. $25 billion a year could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. $12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. $15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where one billion people live on less than $1 per day. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas missions work with 100 to $110 billion still left over for additional ministry expansion. See, the capacity for the church to change the world is phenomenal. But we first have to really enter into this thing. We really have to let go of a few things and we have to allow God to create in us a really a heart of generosity. And again, I'm not talking about just generous in our finances. I'm talking about that we're generous in love, that we're generous with our time. That's a big one. That's, that's a tough one. We're all got only limited resources of time. How are we managing that time? How are we leaving margins in our day for God to work and for others so that we have time for them? generous in grace. We've had grace lavished on us. We need to be a people quick to recognize that it's grace that empowers. It's God's grace that changes us. It's God's grace that empowers us to live differently. We got to be generous in forgiveness within this congregation and outside too. We got to recognize that forgiveness is what we all need. And we got to be generous in our finances and with our stuff. We got to not hold on to it like it gives me identity or value or purpose. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you that you're, that you're a generous God and we thank you that you've, you've called us to, to recognize, to see the reality of, of, of a life that's just lived differently and a, and, and a life that's lived um, abundantly. 
and that, Lord, just that you've called us to live in generosity, to, to be a generous people, to, to love well, to, um, to, to be generous in grace and to be generous with our time in forgiveness and, and generous too with our finances and um, our things. Lord, you, you own it all. It's, it's all yours. And Lord, if it's a matter of source, let us just recognize that that's the truth, that it all belongs to you anyway, that you've given us every gift. You've given us the abilities that we have. You, you've, you've, you've given us the minds that we have to, to generate uh, even our income. And, and, and so, Lord, it's, it's all yours. And so may we just be a people who are so sold out to your, um, your prescriptions, to your commands, to, to your... Um, your love for this world. Help us just to be an extension of that and help us to be as generous, Lord, as you've been with us and help us, Lord, to have margin for our neighbors, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we just give you all the glory. We want you to be made famous in this world because your church is generous. And Lord, we just pray that we could effectively, truly change the world. Not because we just feel compelled. And I don't want anybody here to feel compelled. I don't want anybody to feel shamed or guilty this day. May that not be. But Lord, we just, we want to really truly have a heart, a heart that just wants to honor you, a heart that wants to help others, a heart that wants to give. So will you create in that, Lord, create that in me where it's not there. Will you take the stony parts out of my heart and, and really just give me a heart of flesh. Help me to be more giving, Lord, in this, in, this, uh, in this life and in my day. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd be magnified and made famous in our lives and in this church. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.